Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Stand aside, Europe, because the Champions League is following the Euros trophy straight to London. You heard it here first. Uh, well, maybe not, but Arsenal and Chelsea's campaigns got off to the perfect start over in France. We're here to talk about those, the perfect lead starts continuing this weekend, and a host of other stuff from the WSL. Plus, it's finals time over in the US as the NWSL reaches its climax. But who's going to win it? We spoke to Jeff Kasuf, founder of The Equalizer and ESPN contributor, to find out. First up, though, it's the Champions League and the return of official friend of upfront, journo extraordinaire, Jesse Parker Humphrey. I've got a, I've got a promotion. When did it's I get our, to become friend of first official one. friend of upfront? I'm the first one. You're the first yes. official friend of upfront. Um, well, you've collected three stamps now, so yeah. that entitles you. Do I get free you. coffee? It doesn't. It would do if you were here. <laughs> True. Um, Fair. A fourth Fair stamp touche. gets you a coffee. If you were in the studio, you would be getting a free coffee right now, but instead you're just watching us drink it, I'm afraid. Yeah. Sorry about that. But it just means you've got to come back, doesn't it, really? Um, so it's a win-win for everyone. We need to give her the badge as well. Oh, yeah, we've got the badge, the badges. We need sure. to get those. Should I come to studio today? It's like up. a goodie bag. To... It's amazing. Yeah. But we'll have you back for sure now that it's official. You get a mic head and that's about it. A mic head and a free <laughs> coffee. Um, I mean, you guys have had a pretty phenomenal week, haven't you? You've been in and about, international jet setters. You've seen some incredible games. I mean, we've got to talk first off about Arsenal's awesome bloody week. I mean, 
We were a little bit apprehensive. We thought it was going to be a difficult game for Arsenal, obviously going up against the Champions League title holders, uh, Leon. Uh, we were a little bit sceptical. We thought that maybe Leon were going to come out of this, the uh, the winners. But alas, we uh, hold our hands up. We might have got it wrong. Arsenal looked absolutely destructive uh, last week. You guys were there. I mean, how did you find it? What was it like being there and watching this unfold? All I could think about was the fact that we had said, we reckon Arsenal are going to lose. We reckon Chelsea are going to lose. So yeah. I know I've asked this before, but I do wonder if we can actually go back and delete episodes or like edit them I, and I drop in other... To be fair, I don't think anyone expected that Arsenal result. I'm not even sure Arsenal expected that Arsenal result. Um, I, I think, for me, I think there's a level of freedom that they played with in this game because I guess if they had lost to Leon, it would not have been the end of their Champions League hopes, right? So this game was almost a bit like a free pass. I think when you play in the WSL and they want to win the WSL, they cannot lose. Every game they go into, they cannot drop points. And you have that kind of pressure on your back every time you play a WSL game, which they didn't seem to have when they played Leon. They just went out there, enjoyed the game, really free-flowing, great counter-attacks. Like, everyone was on fire. And I just think Leon kind of, I guess, didn't expect the start from Arsenal that we got. Um, but bloody hell. I was not expecting it. Yeah, And I think that's what you said when, you know, you were talking about the Champions League in the last uh, podcast. You were saying you can't come out here thinking or performing anything less than absolutely perfection. Um, And that's exactly what they did. I mean, Idaval was absolutely glowing afterwards. I mean, he said it's the best performance that he's ever seen the team give, both on and off the ball. Said there was belief and quality in the game plan. Uh, And obviously, you know, it's a big victory over side of one, you know, six of the last seven titles. I mean, Jesse, you were there as well. Uh, how did you find the game? How did you find the atmosphere? What What were your thoughts? Big Arsenal fan, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I did hang out with the Arsenal sports group. I thought it was really amazing how many Arsenal fans made it out to the game. I thought that was something that was really cool to see. And I think, obviously, we're just going to see more and more of that. And it did add to the vibe because, I've got to be honest, the Arsenal fans were noisier than the Lyon fans at the, at the stadium. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible game. I am going to say, I did say before the game, I didn't think Arsenal were going to get pummeled, but I agree. I don't think anyone thought it would go quite like this because Leon were missing a hell of a lot of players. Five starters from the Champions League final, but I don't want to take, I don't want to take away from Arsenal because they did play really, really well. I thought they were just so aggressive on the front foot. The finishing was fantastic. You know, I think you've got to credit that as well. Like they, they saw their chances and they took them. And in some ways, it, it was kind of reminiscent of maybe some of the Barcelona performance which we've seen in recent years, not necessarily stylistically, but I just think in terms of being like really high quality players, you know, get, giving one sniff of goal and just like absolutely punishing Leon for that. And yeah, they've laid down a marker, right? And it's great, I think, for English football because everyone goes and kind of chats and says maybe the WSL isn't all that's crapped up to be. Maybe English teams like can't really cut it in Europe and you know, Arsenal and I guess to a lesser extent Chelsea, as, as maybe we'll talk about, showed that they are a team to beat this year. I think we're seeing the fruits of these group stages now as well. Like we're seeing the benefits of playing this level of opposition more regularly. So obviously they had those games um, last season. I know neither team did particularly excellent in the Champions League, but the fact that you're playing top quality opposition, you know, you get your home and away legs, you generally get at least two difficult matches in your groups. We're starting to see the fruits of that. And, you know, I don't want to get it. I'm not getting ahead of myself because this is, it's a long way to go in the Champions League. But it does take the pressure off, I think, Chelsea and Arsenal a little bit. Not that it's going to be easy going forward, not in, in any regard. But I just think 
it's just a little bit less pressure. And I think they probably felt a lot of pressure coming into this Champions League because the groups are so difficult. Yeah, I think um, Arsenal, obviously, I think for this first game, were a little bit of the underdog. And I think maybe that's where Lyon have felt fallen a little bit flat, that they were supposed to win this game and everyone was hyping them up about it. But I think when I, I mean, I was so disappointed by Lyon's performances. I mean, uh, Lyon's performance even this week, uh, last week, I just thought, you know, defensively, I thought they were shocking to concede five goals and two of those within, was it 22 minutes? Um, I thought the back line didn't seem to know what was going on. They were ball watching, not tracking runs, not looking at blindside runs. I thought there was a number of obviously clear errors, the forward goal being being one of them. And I just expected so much more. And I think maybe that was because the pressure was on them to to win that game. But, you know, I don't know how they're going to they're gonna feel going into the second part of this competition, having to play at the at the Emirates as well. It's going to be a tough battle for them. I think it'll give them a kick up the arse. I Do you think, reckon? Yeah, I think, you know, they'll use that as, as fuel. And sometimes when teams are in such an ascendancy, actually getting brought back down to earth kind of allows you to recalibrate a little bit. And look, I know they had a lot of injured players, but... I was watching the highlights there again just before we, we came on to record and some of the players walking out in that team, like they're unbelievable players and it was players like that who were making some really, you know, unusual mistakes that Wendy Renard passed for mm. the Caitlin Ford second goal was just hospital Dyer. pass, like it was awful and it's you're not used to seeing those players making those kind of mistakes but credit to Arsenal for not allowing them to make mistakes because they punished every single mistake they made and sometimes we wouldn't necessarily see that from Arsenal. We'd see them maybe try and, and counter and, and get something from it. But for whatever reason, that everything was going their way. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, we've got to touch on that. I mean, you you know, you both just said, uh, you know, how critical they were in front of goal, how efficient they were, you know, and obviously a big part of the the sort of game plan with Eye Level this, uh, for that particular game was to bring on Manum instead of uh, Miedemar. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, Manum put on the performance of her life. Um, so she's obviously made it very difficult for Miedemar to be getting her shirt back. And we'll touch on the next game, obviously, where, where Manum started again in a second. But... Yeah, I mean, not a bad shout for me, Deval, there. Jesse, what were your thoughts on, on Manon for the game? Yeah, I mean, I initially wasn't sure whether it was injury-related or tactical, and clearly, you know, Jones kind of came out and said it was it was a tactical choice, but it felt very sensible because I think where Leon really do excel and where they haven't had a lot of injuries is in that midfield area where they had, you know, Haran, Henri, Egarola came on later in the game, Daniela van der Donk. And I always feel like... Miedemar is a bit lightweight in inverted commas shall we say you know I think she's obviously a very talented very creative player but she's not someone who's necessarily going to be kind of barging around going in for tackles being really aggressive really front foot and I think that's what Frida Monum brings and I think it's it's always been a bit bizarre Monum's role in this team because Jonas Eidevel said that when he joined Arsenal, she was exactly the kind of player he wanted to sign and Arsenal had already got her before they finished up their recruitment with him. But then we've just not, we've hardly seen her play, right? And part of that has obviously been because Miedemar's operating in that number 10 position, which is Marnham's preferred position. She hasn't looked at good in other areas of the midfield. But, you know, what a way to like come in and take your chance because the way she was pressing, the way she was putting Leon central defenders under pressure with Stina Blackstinius was just incredibly impressive incredibly intelligent and you know she showed across both these games she's got the kind of goal scoring nerve as well to add that to her game too and I do think you know Arsenal have a bit of a, a question now right because interestingly Idaval when Miedemar did come on in both these games she came on as the central striker again so I don't know entirely how you put all that together because Miedemar's also talked the big talk about how she only wants to play it at number 10 but right now it feels like 
Marnham's maybe got that position kind of sewn up. It does feel... Um, it, I mean, we'll, talk, we'll touch on, you know, how Marnham was in the, in the Liverpool game in a second. But I think, you know, given the strength that we've just seen from Arsenal in the Champions League with a big win like that, do we think that the Champions League trophy is still a way off for Arsenal? Or do we think that actually this could be you know, one of the years that they uh, they really contend for it and get into the later stages. I mean, it's been 15 years since they last won it. Is this, the, uh, is this the comeback we've all been waiting for? I think they're closer and they're showing that they're closer. And I would like to think that they'll get further in the knockout stages of, of the tournament. Um, the thing is, like, Arsenal and Chelsea can improve all they want. Other teams are, have not stopped improving. So this is the thing. Like, yes, they're improving, but so is everybody else. So... Um, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I just think it's it is more positive for English football that we're seeing these kind of performances. Um, I want to go back to the the Miedema Manum conundrum, if you like. I thought Manum was excellent. Mm-hmm. She provided that kind of extra defensive cover, and she dealt with kind of two players in midfield. And like you say, Miedema is so much more front footed, and I think just that extra defensive cover that Manum provided was exactly what Arsenal needed. I don't see it as a massive conundrum, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think we've been crying out for depth in this league and we've been crying out for player welfare in this league and Arsenal need to be able to rest key players and I think what we saw was an Idevel tactical masterclass and I think he's going to need more of that because they come up against different types of opposition in both the league and the Champions League. Um, For me, Miedema hasn't looked quite the same since her COVID bout back in the summer and I think she was given extra time off despite getting knocked out of the quarterfinals, given extra time off um, after the Euros and didn't meet up with the Dutch team in the most recent international break because of illness. So for me, she's not 100%. And the fact that they can afford to bench her um, is a good thing for me. I think we need that. I think they want to, to kind of manage her minutes. Um, and when you've got someone like Manum coming on, I don't think that's a problem. I think it's a good thing. You want top quality players on your bench and on in your starting 11, knowing that if you take them off, you've got, you know, we saw it with Chelsea. I know we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but on on Sunday against Brighton to be able to bring on Harder and Kerr. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's kind of saying, oh, it's a headache for Emma Hayes that Sam Kerr's on the bench now. Like, it's But do you think Miedemar will want to feel like she's not the first choice? Because I don't think, you know, with the Chelsea example, everyone knows those players are the first choice and they're being rested. Whereas these two games, it didn't really feel like this was necessarily just a rest, right? No, no, no I don't. I don't think it was just a rest, but I think they could afford to manage her minutes. And I think... Like, I can't speak for her. She probably wants to play every game. But I also think there's an element of being relied upon for so many seasons as the key player for Arsenal um, that it's actually a little bit of a, a weight off. And, you know, I would like to think everyone's a bit of a team player and that you want the best 11 that, that that's right for the game to be on the pitch. But I'm sure these kind of world-class players always want to be always want to be starting. Um, but I guess you just factor in the fact that there's going to be a lot more games for both Chelsea and Arsenal that this kind of... I think we're going to see more of this kind of game management. Well, I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Idafall sort of, you know, continues with the decision-making process on, on this. And like you said, I think it's going to be a case of seeing what the opposition is like and then adapting strategy accordingly. Um, but I think obviously for Arsenal, uh, it's put them out in the front of the group, uh, you know, but they've also got Zurich and Juventus uh, and obviously they're going to be able to face Leon at home again. Um, I want to touch on oh, the, hello. Leon, the Leon fans. Okay. i got to give them a shout out. Go because on. Because after the game, <laughs> we all ended up in the car park because it was in the, the main stadium in Leon, the one that was used in the semi-final of the World Cup where the USA knocked out England. Um, this was a much better memory. Uh, but we ended up in the car park after the game where we did like some fancy French tailgating. 
They had brought wine, uh, beer, baguettes, homemade pate. Um, this some is not salami. their first rodeo. Oh my God. We were all just standing around having the chats. All the Arsenal fans, we joined um, a lot of the Lyon fans and we were drinking wine and having baguette with pate. It was the most <laughs> surreal experience. And then all the lights went out of the stadium and they just started singing and then they drove us home to Airbnb. So... Shout out to the uh, the Leon fans. Their their hospitality was excellent. And also, just a warning on that: that for Leon fans listening to this podcast, please do not expect the Lower same level of hospitality because you might get a dirty, you know, half pint of Carlin and a pint and told to go home. The um, Arsenal fans are trying to organise something. I'm just not sure they can manage a tailgate. Something that sophisticated. Mm. Okay, fair. Uh, well, let's lower expectations then. But like moving on to Arsenal's second big game of the week, another win, a 12th successive WSL win. Uh, they won 2-0 over Liverpool. Um, I mean, this was pretty much a game they're expected to pick up points against uh, newly promoted Liverpool. Um, another great showing from Arsenal, another great strength. I mean, we just touched on the, the Miedemar, um Conundrum. Conundrum. Yeah, thanks for filling that one in. Um, but yeah, you guys you guys were at the games as well, aren't you? Uh, no? No? Um, Jesse, were you there? No. No. I mean, you've seen them. Yeah, the, surely you've the seen them. Enjoyed them on it. TV. Yeah. yeah, okay. What were your thoughts, Jesse? How did you find this one? I think it was another another strong showing from Arsenal. Yeah, another fast start from them as well, right? Which I think we saw in the Lyon game and then again here at Liverpool. I don't know if that's been something they've been particularly focusing on, but being able to get out of the blocks really quickly, kind of put teams under pressure maybe before they've settled. We've got to give a shout out to Leah Volti for scoring her first ever WSL goal after five <laughs> seasons here. Um, I, should, I like the quote afterwards where she said she didn't really know what to do, but it was a fantastic goal as well. I was like, this is not the kind of finish you'd expect from someone who never ever scores. Um, only her second ever Arsenal goal too. Uh, but yeah, I thought Arsenal looked good. Frieda Marnham again, I thought was was excellent. Her goal as well, just the way she burst through the Liverpool defence and finished so powerfully. You can just tell she's so confident right now. I think, you know, obviously off the back of that Lyon game. The only thing I would say for Arsenal is I did feel a bit nervous for them in the second half. I yes. don't know whether this is just, it was game state. They were 2-0 up. They played a midweek game. But I think Liverpool had their, their chances. They could potentially have had a penalty. Um, even around the penalty, Emma Visto should have, I think, scored anyway. And I think particularly from set pieces, they don't look the most organised. Obviously, Leon scored from a set piece as well. And that's maybe understandable, right, with this kind of makeshift Lotta Wubbenmoy, Steph Catley defence. But I think that's maybe something just to keep an eye on there. I would agree. I was a little bit nervous for them in the second half and I also think that's credit to Liverpool mm -hmm. not only is it set pieces but they've also got that Megan Campbell throw which is such a weapon in their armoury because that's basically a set piece and every defence just seems to panic when she steps up to throw the ball in um, but I've been pretty impressed with them so far they have had some tough fixtures they've had Chelsea, Everton, Spurs and Arsenal and you know of course they're going to go into every game wanting to win but I think if you'd said you're going to come out of these four fixtures with three points at the beginning of the season, they wouldn't be kind of hugely disappointed. I mm -hmm. think maybe they would have, you know, thought they could do better against Spurs and Everton perhaps. Um, but I don't think it's it's the end of the world. There's still a long way to go in the season and I think they're showing really promising signs. Um, they press really well, they counter really well, they put teams under real pressure um, and I think they're unlucky not to get a goal themselves. Yeah, I mean, considering they're obviously fresh up uh, out of the championship, I thought it was a really bright start from them. They were fairly evenly matched uh, possession stats. I think they had 46% of the possession. Uh, registered seven shots, two of them on target, um, which is a lot better than Leicester were doing, having registered absolutely no shots for pretty much the whole of the 
campaign start in the WSL. They did have um, five shots on target this week. I'll just say that. Okay, all right, fair. Less. So you've done a little bit better this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Reds are yet to score from a uh, a goal in open play this season. But I thought there was some positive signs. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're travelling to Man City for the next game. So again, they're sort of fairly tough, tough fixtures, start yeah. is uh, is continuing, but. Beard, ever the kind of, you know, confident, positive role model in, in women's football we've seen. So there was ambitions to do well, uh, but you've got to appreciate that obviously they've been out of the league for two years and it's going to take time to, you know, adjust and, and find their footing again. So, you know, I don't think uh, Liverpool for me aren't, aren't really that much of a concern in terms of relegation. Um, and especially I think now that we'll start to see after the Man City game, some more kind of mid-table um, fixtures for them. And it'll be interesting to see where they start to pick up those points. Um, but I think um, we've got to touch on Chelsea. Obviously had a, a, a just a, a really phenomenally good week for them. Um, obviously their campaign, the WSL, was a little bit hampered, but now they seem to be on flying form. Um, Jesse, you were at the game against PSG. Uh, it was 1-0 Chelsea. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on it? Well, it wasn't a classic. Um, <laughs> as a nerd, I did enjoy how well Chelsea controlled the game. Not that I thought PSG really offered that much an attack, but I think... Chelsea have really lacked, especially in the Champions League in recent years, even when they reached the final, that real control. It's more like chaos, chaos and goals. And I think to be able to go away to Paris on an artificial pitch, which was you could see that the players were struggling with with adjusting to playing on it and to kind of get, you know, this 1-0 win, done and dusted, take three points, go back home. You know, we started last season with a ridiculous 3-3 draw with Wolfsburg. So the Champions League group stage has begun better than it did last year. So I think, yeah, generally it wasn't a classic. Um, PSG Ultras were amazing though. So it was good atmosphere, good vibes, even if it was very heavily raining, which seemed to um, continue for all of Chelsea's games last week. Uh, But yeah, not one I would recommend going back and watching if you missed it first time. No, I I would agree. Harder called it a professional performance (laughs) afterwards, which I think what you call um, not a great game, but a game that you've won. And that's the that's the main thing. Um, I think it sums it up nicely. Not the best of games, not the most exciting, not that many chances. But you need to be able to win those kind of games, not just the ones that you dominate. And I think that's something Chelsea generally manage to do, particularly in the league, is even when they're not playing that well, they will come out with a win. So for that to be transferring over into the Champions League is really important. And I think like Arsenal, had they lost to PSG, it wouldn't have been the end of their Champions League um, chances. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they've gotten the three points is key. For me, PSG, like you said, failed to create many chances. were a little bit individualistic. Is that a word? Yeah, I think I think so. I'll, you know, I'll buy it. Yeah, a little bit individualistic. A lot of kind of going themselves when there are clear chances to pass or to give to someone in a better position. So, um, I think that probably is what hampered them. Um, but yeah, I agree. Echoing the fans, they were absolutely incredible. Like proper ultras, drums out, shirts off, massive flags, the whole <laughs> ninety minutes as well. It was it was amazing. I mean, I did because I watched it back obviously, and all I could hear over the commentary was just the bang. It it felt like the women's Euros all over again. It was that kind of like intense atmosphere. Um, but yeah, I feel very like yeah, I you know I was watching back over it. I was definitely bored at points. I thought Kerr looked quite dynamic, but I think she missed a couple of clear chances that could have put the game to bed a lot earlier. I think it was quite tense, obviously keeping it one nil for such a long time. Um, but Erin Cuthbert thought she was really influential. Um, do we feel like she's found her form a little bit now, um, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I think Erin Cuthbert's been a pretty essential member of this Chelsea team for quite a while, but now she's moved back into more of this defensive midfield position almost. She's become kind of one of the first names on the team sheet. And I think what was 
really good to see here was that even though Sophie Ingle played the holding midfield role, Erin Cuthbert was still there kind of scurrying around and I think maybe playing slightly more advanced gives her more freedom to kind of make those tackles, make those interceptions than maybe when she's the the person who's sitting just in front of the defence. But yeah, I think Erin Cuthbert is someone who... Look, Chelsea love to sign versatile players, right? If you look at the squad, almost everyone can fit into a number of different positions and sometimes that can be to the detriment, I think, especially for younger players. I think you're maybe seeing something similar with Neve Charles right now, that it takes them a while to find exactly where they're supposed to be and really nail down the spot. But I think if you look at Erin Cuthbert's development, you know, she's still such a young player, but she's been at Chelsea for a very, very long time. And to see where she's got to, I think that's also something that players maybe who are currently still finding where exactly they fit into this squad can look to and say right, that's what I'm going to aim towards because if I put the work in, if I give the effort when I'm being shunted around the pitch, there's going to be a reward for it and that's going to come with a regular starting position. I 100% agree. I think she's fundamental to that midfield. You can put her anywhere and she'll do a job for you. We saw that last season because she was kind of played all over the park. Um, But she's dogged and she's so good at breaking down opposition play. Um, Anytime they kind of have maybe a bit of a break or even, you know, throwing a pass it out through the through the middle of the park. She's there to to break it up. Um and she may not always get the plaudits or the most amazing goals, but she's one of those players that when you take her out of a team, you massively miss her. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, she's been excellent. Well, obviously she did enough to keep her shirt. Uh, in the next game, the Chelsea v Brighton, uh, she was only one of four players to keep their shirt. There was uh, a lot of rotation in the squad um, from the Chelsea Brighton game. Chelsea picking up the points uh, with a 2 0 win. Um, a lot of squad rotation, obviously based on the fact there was about a 10 minute turnaround time from the Brighton, uh, from the Chelsea squad landing to having to go straight into the Brighton they game. They flew back the, like the night of uh, Killer. that match and they had to go from like an airport that wasn't that close. So they got home at like early hours of the morning. I mean, well done on the fixture planning. Um, really cracking job Well, there. actually, they got the latest possible fixture <laughs> of the weekend. So I think they did all right. <laughs> um, but I think obviously, you know, uh, you know, coming coming out of the uh, the, the, the Chelsea game against uh, P- the PSG game uh, on on the win, probably a little bit of a, of a high from them. Going into the Brighton game, again, I felt it looked a little bit flat. The weather was absolutely atrocious. Um, but Brighton started the game on the front foot. They looked quite sharp. There were a few really good early saves from, from Megan Walsh. Uh, I mean, yeah, guys, what, what were your thoughts? Rach, what do you think? I thought the conditions were horrendous. Uh, I'm actually surprised the game went ahead. There was a pitch inspection. Um, but I I don't like this thing of like, oh, well, that's why Chelsea didn't start well or whatever. They're both playing the same conditions. But I will agree that it obviously doesn't suit Chelsea's kind of passing, quick passing game and, and mm. through balls and all that kind of stuff. They did quickly adapt to that. I think in the second half, they performed better managing the conditions but I think Brighton probably looked at it and said we could get something out of this now because of the difficult conditions um what frustrates me about Brighton so they they were they were good they were gritty determined made it difficult for Chelsea um the fact that Chelsea had to bring on Harder and Kerr to wrap up the match says a lot they're very unlucky as well not to have gotten a goal themselves but for me I want to see them play like that with that fight and resolve week in week out mm-hmm. not just when you play Chelsea because for me as a, if I was a Brighton fan that would frustrate me because if you played like that against some of the fixtures you had earlier on in the season you probably would have come away with better results um, but it was still still a very good display from Brighton I thought Brighton love playing Chelsea don't they it is true I don't you know sometimes people joke oh you know teams just go to another level because they're playing the champions but there is something about Chelsea that Brighton just they absolutely thrive off and 
Yeah, I mean, I thought the conditions were awful. And I think the reason Chelsea improved in the second half was because the end they were attacking was a lot less wet than the one they were in the first half. In the first half, I saw Johanna Rittencanner had tackled by a puddle. So puddle yes. should sign <laughs> for Brighton because I think that could be a real asset. It's going to be an Twelfth man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought I thought Chelsea played well given given the changes, given the circumstances. And I thought it was actually a more accomplished performance than, than maybe we've seen in some of the other games and I think I, I have to shout out Jess Carter because I think part of the reason for that was I thought Chelsea even though they did concede some chances looked so much more defensively solid with her in the team she was making her first start this season her first minutes at all and I think Emma Hayes Paul Green Denise Reddy whatever combination of people making decisions right now have a bit of a problem on their hands because they've got the star summer signing Kadisha Buchanan not look great Captain Magda Eriksson, maybe still not quite up to speed, maybe still adjusting to that left-back position. And they've just signed Jess Carter to this new three-year deal. And I don't know how you fit all of those players in right now when you've got Millie Bright there as well. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to see them try and figure out. Obviously, they've got Vlatsnia midweek, well, tomorrow. Um, So we might see more rotation there. But yeah, I think it'll be an interesting, interesting thing for them to look at. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Uh, I mean, yeah, great performance from from Brighton, despite the despite the loss. Uh, you know, Hope Powell after the game was saying, "I can't fault anyone's effort." She was quite, um, you know, pleased with the sort of attitude and application of the squad, uh, which was lovely to hear from from Hope. Really nice, positive words there. Um, I mean, elsewhere in the WSL, got a touch on. I mean, West Ham, Reading. Uh, West Ham walks away the points, three two. Uh, very interesting game, uh, guys. What what were your initial, very brief thoughts on this? Bonkers. Yeah, madness. That's mine. I love Paul Koncheski. Paul Koncheski ball. Uh, it's <laughs> chaos. They, they're they so good going forward. They can't control the game at all. So then other teams get to score. So if you're not watching West Ham at the moment, I fully recommend it because they're throwing out some of the best games in the WSL, in my opinion. Ooh, pure carnage. Never know what you're going to get. Koncheski um, carnage. Love it. But I mean, we've got to touch on Reading because I mean, they're hosting Leicester this weekend. Uh, These are the only two teams in the WSL so far who have lost every WSL game, failed to become at any points. Leicester, I think, have been a concern for a couple of seasons now in terms of the relegation zone, just about fought their way out of it last year. Um, What do we think on this? Do we think this is early signs for for Reading and Leicester that these two are going to be the ones who are going to be struggling towards the back end of the season? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm disappointed because we've seen some great performances from Reading uh, in previous seasons. They've always been a bit mid-table, but they've always been a difficult team to break down, and and that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment, which is frustrating. Um, but then they can totally turn it on its head and score goals. So for me, it's like you know they they can lie down and get you know absolutely battered four nil, or they could come back from three nil down to if there's probably an extra five minutes in the game probably would have got an, an equaliser. Um, so it's finding that consistency for me because, you know, they can play some good football, but at times they can also just be hoofed out the defence kind of team. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's nailing that consistency. I think for me, Leicester played well against Man United. They did really well to kind of minimise their chances, had the same number of shots on target as Man United did with less chances. So nod to that because they haven't been scoring goals. And no. The only goal they've scored this season is an on goal. So I think that's where the difference is going to be between Reading and Leicester is that Leicester are just that little bit more efficient up front. And Jesse, what are your thoughts then? Do we think Reading-Leicester relegation zone for this year? Yeah, I think my it's quite an interesting one between the two because I think Leicester feel like a well-organised team. That what Rachel just said about like 
they contained this team really well, but they didn't get the win. It's true for so many Leicester games this season, apart from maybe the City one. Um, but the fact that they just don't have any goal scorers is a real worry for me, whereas I think Reading have this amazing asset in Charlie Wellings, who is just so good at scoring bangers, right, that you kind of feel like if she can get the ball from the, on the outside of the box that she's going to have quite a good chance at getting a shot on target, at testing the keeper. And obviously when you're not creating lots of good opportunities near the goal, that's such an amazing thing to have. Obviously, Reading are also like really unlucky with injuries, so that is maybe a bit of a concern. But I think I really worry for Leicester right now because I just don't see where the goals are going to come from at all. The WSL and Champions League aren't the only exciting leagues happening at the moment. The NWSL playoffs over in the US have served up some amazing matches. The final is this weekend where the Portland Thorns take on Kansas City Current. To get some more info on how the playoffs have gone and what to expect from the final this weekend, we caught up with Jeff Kasouf. He's the founder of the website, The Equalizer, dedicated to all things women's football and also a contributor to ESPN. Hi, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, so Portland Thorns beat San Diego Wave 2-1 in a crazy game on Sunday. The 93rd minute winner came from Crystal Dunn, her first goal since becoming a mother back in May. Describe her journey back to fitness over the last few months. Yeah, I mean, look, Crystal Dunn, you know, one of the best US players over the past few years. Um, she's she's known on the international level as a left back. She's known in the league as, you know, one of the best attacking midfielders. Um and, and gave birth to her first child in May. So you're talking five months postpartum. Um, she actually said after the game Sunday, which was, was news to, I think, most of us, that at one point she considered not coming back until 2023 just to kind of allow herself to, to readapt. And, and, you know, she's she thought better of that after after some conversations and tried to get back on the field for the end of 22 here. And, um, look, she only played 47 total minutes in the regular season over four games, the final four games of the regular season, 
built into some minutes, never played more than, um, you know, 20, 20 odd minutes, and then comes on for the last half hour in the semifinal, uh, again, in that attacking mid position where she's, you know, prefers and, and is quite, a, quite talented, um, in the league and, and, um, you know, hits, uh, the goal of her life. Uh, I mean, a goal that I think I've covered this year, this league for a decade that, that I'll never forget just the atmosphere and the scenes that followed. And, um, you know, I mean, she's always been a total workhorse and, um, you know, I, I think just obviously commendable, just, you know, what she's been able to do and, and, you know, where she's at, um, in this journey back to, you know, to be back in the playoffs already and now building toward a world cup, um, is, is exceptional. A lot of talk around the NWSL over the past few months has been around Sally Yates' report, which described extensive abuse across the league. And Portland was one of the teams under the harshest spotlight for alleged wrongdoing across their management uh, team. Has that overshadowed their playoff journey, do you think? So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the term overshadowed. I think, um, you know, the difference between this year and, and last, which, you know, unfortunately it's it's almost a year to the to the week here, almost a year to the day that the Yates report came out. Um, that that this first sort of um, we first saw this with the league, you know, a year ago that that the Athletic reported on Paul Riley. So um, you know, last year there was a shock that that certainly existed this year too, right? It still exists this year, but you know, I think the difference between last year and this is the players have have shouldered this burden for you know for a year publicly. I mean, they've shouldered it for much longer than that, even privately. Some of them just being aware of what's gone on and, and having to, to live with that or, or having people who didn't, uh, you know, they've reported it and, and not been, there've been no consequences. I mean, all of these different things. So, you know, the difference this year has been really the message from players has been very specific and, and pointed in that they want the focus to be on them. Um, you know, I had reached out to, to the Players Association Executive Director, Megan Burke, and, and her statement to me was, you know, see us in our our greatest moments, not just our darkest ones. And, and the players have really echoed that and taken the lead on that. Um, you know, there, there were no, unlike last year, there were no moments of, of stoppage in play for, um, you know, to, to kind of make a statement or a stand. There was really a, look, this is our playoffs. You know, we this is our, our greatest time of year at a, a domestic, at a club level. And we want to be seen for this great play. And obviously, you know, um, we've been given that. I mean, the, the the four matches thus far in this postseason have been phenomenal. I don't think that we've seen a postseason collectively for every single game this this entertaining yet in league history. And you know, by way of that, by way of having Crystal Dunn score, you know, an unbelievable goal in in the most spectacular fan setting, um, by way of having a 90th plus 10 stoppage time winner. Um, in, in the first round for Kansas City, uh, an extra time winner for Alex Morgan in in San Diego in the first round. You know we've been given this undeniable entertainment that that has been easy to celebrate. So it's it's kind of been somewhat easy to honor their request in that sense that we've been you know the, the games we've been afforded have been so spectacular. So I don't think it's been overshadowed in in that regard. I, I think. I'd like to think they've been able to enjoy the moment, at least, you know, on the 90 minutes or, or 90 minutes plus through those lines. I think fans have. I think those of us covering it have. We've, we've, I, I hope, sort of walked the right line in terms of honoring that request that they've had while also trying to, you know, cover the story at hand. And um, so I, I think, if anything, maybe the, the questions and sort of the media side has been a little bit 
you know, yes, that, 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 that's the backdrop. But I do think that, um, you know, we've, we've really seen sort of this amazing moment. It's not to forget what's happened, obviously, but to at least give these players a spotlight that they've requested. Let's touch on San Diego Wave. This was their first season as one of the league's new expansion teams. They've got England legend Casey Stoney in charge. Will they look back on this as a successful first season? Did it go as expected? So I think San Diego exceeded expectations, even though that they were relatively high. And I say relatively compared to previous expansion teams. And that is no expansion team in their first season in the NWSL has ever made the playoffs. Um, Most of them have actually been quite poor. And and that's been kind of a product of the system they've been handed and, and how they can build their roster and but, you know, it was clear from preseason that San Diego and even Angel City in Los Angeles were better expansion teams or should be better expansion teams than than previous, just based on the talent that they were able to assemble in their first season or ahead of it. And even given that, San Diego exceeded those expectations. They spent half the season at the top of the table. They were, they were shield contenders for the shield um, until, you know, the final couple of weeks and you know, I think had a real shot at winning a championship despite being an expansion team. And I, I think maybe, you know, the one thing that was not on their side was a couple of or a few key injuries at the wrong time, which was right as the playoffs started. But, you know, this team, um, you know, I, I played back in the day as well. Um, so I, I get it that nobody ever really wants to hear, you know, hang your head high and be proud after, after you lose a game. I think that's probably frustrating to hear as a player, but, you know, certainly you look at what they did, um, in the regular season, even the postseason with the, the first round playoff win. Um, you know, I think you've got to be happy as a San Diego player, coach, Casey Stoney supporter, um, with what they put together and and what it means for the future you would hope for them. I think you've got to be happy if you're San Diego with the season. And looking at the other semi-final where Oral Reign were beaten 2-0 by Kansas City Current. This was even though the Reign won the Shield for finishing top of the league in the regular season whilst Kansas City only finished fifth. I mean, how disappointed will the Reign be with that given how strong they've looked this season? Yeah, you know, the, the NWSL, it's, uh, it's tough. You... I think the shield. So let's put aside the playoffs, right? Because most most global leagues don't have this playoff system. So in that sense, um, to to quote unquote win the league, and that would be the shield in this case. You know, the NWSL is is filled with parity. Um, the the best league in the world conversation always becomes a, a little bit of a uh, an, a complicated one. But I do think. I do feel strongly, frankly, that that the NWSL is the most competitive league in the world. And I think England's WSL has grown better in this, has grown more competitive. You've seen Manchester United kind of enter into that big three conversation. Manchester City has struggled a little bit. Tottenham last season had picked up some results. You see some mid-table teams getting better. But um, And even this season, you look at the Liverpool results to open the season against Chelsea, right? So I, I think it's getting better there. I do think the incumbent sort of, uh, you know, the chaos league, the the league that has the most parity and the most competitive league, top to bottom, where that last place team, even if they look terrible in the standings, can go beat the top team in the league. I mean, look at look at the last day of the regular season, right? Portland should be winning the Shield, no no doubt about it. Gotham's on a 12 game losing streak, not even, you know, winless streak, losing streak, um, can't score a goal for several games comes back to draw the Thorns 3-3 and the Thorns blow the shield and and their rivals the rain win it later that night. So, you know, 
in that sense, um, and, and the rain talked about this, that shield is very difficult to win. It should be celebrated. Now, the context of the rain's history, and this will hit home specifically for Laura Harvey, who coached all of these teams and, and you know, is in her second stint with the team, um, and, and the three veterans of Megan Rapino, Jess Fishlock, Lauren Barnes, who have been through this, that 2014-2015, you know, best team in the league by some measure. This year was a little bit different. They really had to chase the shield. But, you know, that 2014 team with Kim Little, they won the league by by a country mile, as we as we like to use the phrase here. Um, it, it was a significant win, clearly the best team, and then they go to the playoffs, and both times they lose to Kansas City, a different Kansas City team, different but the same. We won't go down that that rabbit hole, but um, so maybe a little extra sting to be losing to a Kansas City team, um, but you know, th- there's no doubt that at least for those veterans. There's got to be a, a sort of sour taste of unfinished business. I'm sure that some of the younger players taste that too, but maybe they didn't experience 2014 and 15 in, in the way that those veterans and Laura Harvey did. So um, I think it's probably a mix of, you know, proud of that shield. But, um, you know, I, I think for, for the rain players and, and coach that have gone through that, the coaches, I should say, because, you know, some of the assistants as well, uh, you know, I think that they very much do not want to be retired and looking at this and saying, man, we never we never won that knockout stage. We never won that NWSL championship in the playoffs. Yeah. And if O.L. Reign are disappointed with it, Kansas City must be delighted going from the bottom of the league last year to one win away from clinching the title. That's an amazing turnaround. What do you put that down to? What's changed over the last year or so? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, Kansas City, um, it's a bit of a mix, right? Kansas City is a team that was poor in 2021 I would say you know played a little bit better than their record they, they were really bad at the st- the first half of the season started to turn things around midway through and then started giving teams trouble including the rain ironically last year um, at least you know in, in the away meeting um, which is where the turnaround really started for Kansas City but um, you know didn't necessarily get results but but had some pieces in place so the offseason comes you know, you look at, I mean, a big thing was coaching change. Hugh Williams steps back, goes into a, a technical role um, in, in the back room, and, and Matt Potter takes over. Um, Adriana Franch, goalkeeper, and and Kristen Hamilton forward arrive midseason in 2021. And then, you know, these big offseason additions, I mean, I think that's the big, you know, big piece. I mean, uh, we should talk about the players on the field, and, and they've done quite a bit. But, you know, the context, I think, that makes this even more amazing is, you know, if you were sitting here six, eight months ago and saying, okay, Kansas City is going to be a team that is going to be in it at the end. I think they'll be significantly better. They'll be in the playoffs, whatever. You're making that assumption based on the fact that they made a bunch of improvements across the board, but also that they've brought in Lynn Williams and, and Sam Mewis, two U.S. internationals. Sam Mewis went healthy, one of the best midfielders in the world, and certainly showed us that in the years prior. And neither of those players played a single minute this season because of injury. And so, you know, I think that they've done that, um, that they've been able to do that, given that context, you know, among other things is, is spectacular. And, you know, I think it's a little bit of everything. It's it's Matt Potter coming in as coach, recognizing some pieces that worked, didn't work, that needed to be used differently. They've, they've gone to a 3-5-2 throughout this season, um, variation of a 3-5-2 anyway. And, um, you know, Lola Bonta, attacking midfielder, having her best season ever by some measure and, and, you know, six years in this league. So a lot of sort of 
individual performances that have excelled. I mentioned Franch and Net, and you know a lot of sort of collective pieces coming together in the right way. So I think um, you know it is it is quite a story, sort of worst to first, but yeah, or worst to maybe they hope first, uh, not first in the the regular season, but a championship is is their goal. Um, I think it's a little bit of everything, and yeah, it, it does also though speak to. Um, that parody that we we just mentioned before. So, Jeff, the NWSL final is this Saturday in Washington. Uh, I mean, it should be an amazing matchup. Uh, who are some of the players our listeners should keep an eye on? You know, as far as key players go, Sophia Smith is is you know Portland superstar striker number nine. Um, you know, Naomi Gurma in the San Diego in the semifinal in San Diego did a spectacular job of keeping Smith in check in in a lot of one v one battles. So, you know. Can whoever that is for Kansas City, if it's Elizabeth Ball that ends up in that quite often, maybe who can who can handle Smith? Um, that's been a difficult task for most backlines this this season. And then, you know, if you're singling somebody out on the Kansas City side, uh, I mentioned Franch. I mean, Labanta, Lo Labanta, the attacking midfielder, uh, I think is you know an obvious one in many ways. Alex Loera is a rookie who's played just about everywhere. Um, across the back line and in central midfield and, and continues to come up big in this these playoffs. So, you know, I think there's a lot of key individual battles. I think it'll be a fascinating tactical battle between Rianne Wilkinson and, and Matt Potter. And, you know, I mean, my hope as a, as a neutral who covers this, this game and this league, I mean, I hope it's an entertaining game because we've had uh, a very entertaining playoff uh, run so far, these four games among all these teams. So, um you know, hopefully the final follows suit. And lastly, Jeff, we never let our guests sit on the fence here on Upfront. Chloe's coined the phrase putting our flagpoles in the sand, which I still don't really know what that means. But anyway, <laughs> who is winning this one? Yeah, you know, prediction time. I love prediction. People people found some of my uh, preseason predictions. I thought the Washington Spear would be quite a bit better. But, um, you know, look, I, I think got to acknowledge the obvious first, right? That this is a, a knockout game. It's a one-off um, two teams with with plenty of talent. So I mean, I think you know, in that sense, this is a and anything can happen. And and we've seen some games, particularly finals in this league, where you know a coach gets the tactics really right or or even really wrong, and that sort of drastically sways the match in a way that maybe we wouldn't have expected. Maybe lopsided match even. But um, you know, I, I do think everything considered, I like the Portland Thorns in this. Um, it's maybe the obvious pick. And, and I think Kansas City is quite happy to be the underdog and has been for, for some time. And, you know, I said this in other places, I, I think Kansas City's playing with house money in that nobody expected them to be here, not outside of their walls. I think maybe even this is, I don't know if anybody would ever admit this, but maybe this exceeds expectations even within their walls from preseason at least. So, you know, um, that's a dangerous thing to face when when you're playing a team that, that doesn't have that pressure that, that feels like, you know, they've got nothing to lose. But, um, you know, I do think that Portland on talent, um, they've gotten the tactics right. They have the the ability to dictate a game but also get back into a game. And that's where I think, you know, Kansas City gets ahead early in that semifinal against the Rain. They needed that because Kansas City is not a team that scores a lot of goals. It it wins almost every game that it, it does prevail in by one goal. You know, so it's, it's not a team that's going to get out and run. I think... The Thorns scored the most goals in the regular season in 2022. They have Sophia Smith. They have those other elements of, of Morgan Weaver, Yaz Ryan. You know, I think this is a team that 
can open this game up and that would favor them. I think it's a team that can chase the game down if it needs to. And, and for those reasons, I like the Thorns. All right, guys. I mean, the World Cup 2023 draw was announced. Um, I, I feel pretty smug. I've got to say, uh, England have been drawn in Group D alongside Denmark, China and one playoff winner, which, which will either be uh, Senegal, Haiti or Chile. Um, I mean, guys, what are your thoughts on that group? Because I'm thinking I don't want to be, you know, over the top bowls. You never know what's going to happen. But I mean, as chances go to get out of the group, I think we're safe, dare I say it? Yeah, I think England should be definitely getting out of that group for sure. Mm. Jesse, what were your thoughts when you saw those uh, those matches come out? Screaming with delight, parties. <laughs> Too early yeah, for that. Definitely a nice, definitely a nice group. Um, I've got to give a shout out to Alex and Bassetta because we could have that England Chile opening game, which I think will be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I think. Listen, the level that England are at right now, I didn't really feel like there was a draw that was going to make me sit there and think, oh no, this is a problem. Especially mm. because this is an expanded World Cup. And I just think that's the level that England are at right now. Once you take out those kind of top, what was it, six seeds that were in group one to make the eight groups, then you were kind of looking at, there wasn't anyone in pot two where I was like, oh, I'd be really, really freaking out about playing them. So I think England did well to get China, who I think could be a tough team to break down potentially, but we've seen England you know, manage those situations before. Denmark, obviously, you never want to write off a team with Neil Harder in it, but equally... If their Euros form is anything to go by. Didn't have a great Euros. So, and then, yeah, that potential Chile, Haiti or or Senegal game. As the opener, I think also the order's, like, quite nice there too. Start off with the easiest game. Go on. Um, Also, I was just kind of glad we didn't end up in a group that was going to make us fly all the way over to Perth. So, um, <laughs> on the flip England. side, <laughs> I feel like everything you've said there about England, we could say the opposite about Ireland because they did end up in a group where you have to fly over to Perth. And I don't think there was a group they necessarily could have ended up in where they would have said, this would be grand. We'll be getting out of this group. I think every group <laughs> was going to be difficult. So for me, I'm actually quite pleased that they've drawn Australia and mm-hmm. that they are going to be playing the opening game. First ever World Cup playing against the hosts in Sydney. And there's such a massive contingent of Irish people in Australia as well. It's going to be unbelievable Huge. scenes at that match. So I'm excited. I, I sent a message to my mom straight away. being like, oh my God, Ireland have drawn the hosts. They're playing Australia in the opening match. And her immediate reply was, didn't they beat them? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yes, actually. Yeah, 3-2, mom. Well, a good shout. <laughs> so, I think this nice is quite one. an open group for Ireland though, no? Are you not feeling a bit... I feel a bit positive for them. So Ireland have drawn... <laughs> Australia, the hosts, Canada, who are like seventh or eighth in the world. Okay, mm. they're going to be, I mean, they haven't been having the best of form the last few games, but they are going to be a tough team to face. And Nigeria, again, who are going to be difficult. I think Ireland are ranked higher than Nigeria, so technically they should get points off them. And for me, if Ireland can get points at a World Cup, I'll be delighted because it is their first ever major tournament. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Um, but no, I think it's a pretty tough group, but... You know, I'm look at the Irish. Come on. All right. I'm backing them. Good. All right. We could potentially, if England win their group, I think, and Ireland come second, there could potentially be 
a meetup somewhere along the line. So in which case, be, you will be supporting. I'll be head to toe in green, and Sophie will be head to toe in whatever colour England does choose to wear. Maybe highlight just or orange shorts and like a green no, top just, or something no, like no, that. No, 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 that green all the way. Um, right. So that'll be someone put in our WhatsApp group that it could be a potential contentious issue for your <laughs> <Sophie> marriage. <laughs> <laughs> We've done it in the rugby before. It'll be fun. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys have been together for like a millennia, so I'm sure you can weather this storm. We'll be all right. All right. Um, and speaking of difficult groups, can I just say, can I shout out Flacco of the USA trying to claim that um, the USA had the toughest group, which just made me laugh out loud because they've drawn the Netherlands, Vietnam, and then a playoff, uh, one of the playoff teams. So the fact that um, he's trying to claim it's the toughest group is a bit, funny i mean Always i know it was there in the final setting the, the expectations yeah. though <laughs> it's just guys come on maybe it's a double bluff though he's like yeah it's, it's really difficult he's being a bit humble about it knowing full well that he's going to smash his way out of and knowing full that well team. that absolutely nobody believes him yeah 100 percent. all right well we'll wait and see it's only what less than a year away and i'm sure we'll all be there um char has said first class flights out to oz i'm yes, thinking about I'm taking a sabbatical so you know, there's some big plans, big plans in action, but we will keep you covered for that competition. Uh, right, gang, time for us to wrap up. Where are we off to this weekend? Rach, where are you going? Well, I've got Champions League first. So Chelsea against uh, Vlasnia on Wednesday, Arsenal against Zurich on Thursday, and then I'm back to Chelsea again for Chelsea Villa on Sunday. That is quite the week. Uh, Jesse, what are you doing? Are you following the same footsteps? I am going to skip Vlatsnir and Zurich just because I'm not sure they're going to be the most exciting games, but I will see Rachel at Kings Meadow on Sunday before yeah. trying to get across London as quickly as possible for Arsenal West Ham as well. I'll give you a lift. Perfect. Oh. Love wow. that. Look at that networking. <laughs> Lovely. Supportive. This is what happens when you're a friend of Upfront. Oh, oh, is that another benefit is. that we're adding? Yeah. yeah. Great. Not just lift. cups of teas and a crap badge. <laughs> Also lifts. Um, I will be in Durham uh, with Palace. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I hope hope to God every time I've gone up there, there's always been some kind of query about the pitch and the conditions. So are you leaving after the pod? You going straight up? Uh, journey. Well, I might as well start now, to be mm. honest. It's going to be a bit of a trek with all the floods going on in London. Um, but yeah, wish me luck, guys. Uh, thank you for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball or Jesse is at Jesse JPH. We will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.